Welcome back to the Meetups of Paris podcast. I am Zen, and this is a podcast about all things travel, be it food, what to pack for your next trip, or your next exotic destination. And with me today, as always, is Kristen. Hello! Am I the one constant figure now? (laughs) Now that I'm no longer with us. (laughs) Hi, happy to be here. Awesome. And not that she can, he can replace Emily. We do have a surprise and we have a special guest and his name is Dennis Lidley. How you doing? I'm happy to be here today. We right, are I'm only 2.0. Well. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> yeah, Emily 2.0. I, I have been called a lot worse things than that. <laughs> so I, I'll take that happily. Okay. <laughs> Hopefully not from the wife or something like that. Oh, well, no. on, on occasion, but it's, <laughs> I, I always remind her who feeds her. So she'll, she'll go, after, she'll go <laughs> after dinner. After dinner, I have to remember. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Well, we're very excited to have Dennis today as a special guest host. Um, Dennis is a retired chef and culinary instructor who has a new life as a food blogger, and he's on a mission to show people at home that creating delicious restaurant-quality meals is actually not as hard as it seems. Dennis is also an avid world traveler and finds culinary inspiration for his recipes from around the world. Does that sound about right, Dennis? That sounds about right, and I'm telling you what a life it is. I never imagined after retirement from the kitchen my life would get this good. It kind of sounds like you're living the dream. <laughs> I, I hear you. You know, I'm just anxious to get back out and start traveling again. The pandemic really put a, a stopped everything cold. I had the trip of a lifetime planned, and uh, when it reared its oh. head, so. Uh, you know, and, and it's, it's crazy. Every trip I plan is a trip of a lifetime. This was the new trip of a lifetime. So, right, right, right. Well, we're going to have to talk about that one too. Sure. So. All right. So, well, we're super excited to learn more. But before we begin, as always, a quick commercial break from our sponsor. When you look back upon your life and you see all the things you achieved, certainly none of them started with inaction. And when you're planning for your next career journey, find us, the University of California, Irvine. We've over 80 convenient online certificates to help you navigate the future, and we're the perfect Sherpa for your next big adventure. Find us at ce.uci.edu. So a little bit more about Dennis before we start. Dennis picks his travel destinations based on food. He is a firm believer that food connects everyone everywhere. He has traveled abroad and cooked with people from around the world and realizes how food connects us all and tells us so much about the individuals who consume it. It's this passion for food that Dennis brings to his cooking blog and families around the world. So let's start out with the obvious question, Dennis. Tell us about yourself. And as uh, I say that, that's not a question. <laughs> Would you tell us about yourself? It's a oh, demand. sure, yeah, sure. It's a demand. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just I'm just a regular guy who uh, loves food and has has a passion for for making people happy. You know, I I started cooking at an early age simply because I love to eat, which is you know quite evident. And uh, my mom was a nurse, and she never really learned to cook a lot. They sent her right off to school. Uh, early on in her her life, and um, she didn't learn all the tips and tricks that my grandmother had on making delicious Mexican food. I'm I'm half Mexican, and oh. my, gra- my grandmother used to love feeding me, and I used to love eating it. So it was it was a marriage made in heaven uh, between <laughs> us. <laughs> was um, your grandmother kind of your first instructor? Uh, I think I was so busy eating, I did not pay attention. <laughs> 
Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, and I did not spend enough time. We we left Texas uh, when I was at an early age. Uh, my father was having a difficult time. He had retired from the Army and been through a lot. And uh, we moved up to New Jersey, where he had been from. And like I said, then it was just a matter of me starting to learn to cook on my own because my mom would work nights so she could be home during the day. And if I wanted to eat during the day rather than wake her up, I, I would make something. And, you know, that's how the experiment started. And uh, I think I was in eighth grade or I was a freshman in high school. And there was a guy on called Graham Curry. It was the Galloping Gourmet. Oh, yeah. You remember, you remember him? Oh, yeah. He was cutting edge back then. I, I watched him recently. My wife goes, oh, my God, he's so corny. I goes, oh, no, he was the bomb back then. Yeah, he was the rage, huh? Yeah. And uh, he would bring people. He had such a good time cooking. And he would bring people down from the audience, and they'd eat the food, and they would moan. And wow. I was like, you know, it, it connected. It, it locked into my brain somewhere because, you know, from that point on, you know, I did the the – route that a lot of young people do when I tried everything, you know, uh, singer, songwriter, uh, I built houses. I did, you know, it's like, what didn't I do to try and make a dollar at that point? And uh, eventually I found my, my way back to the kitchen. And that, that's kind of when things started for me, when my life really started at that point, you know, and uh, I started I trained as an apprentice under two classically trained chefs. Or, well, actually, one was a CIA graduate, uh, Culinary Institute of America. And oh, that, that's CIA. <laughs> yeah, that's CIA. The good, C, the good CIA. Uh, if you're listening, I really don't mean that that way, though. Okay. Uh, the, the happy CIA, let's put it that way. Uh, but he didn't like he, – he was great in the kitchen and every aspect of food, but he didn't like to cook. Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, he could, he would order, he could cut meats, he could organize, he was, ah. we used to call it driving the bus, he was the expediter, he would get food out like nobody's business, but just the passion for the cooking wasn't really there, so wow. I would watch, I would learn, and when orders would come in, I'd start making them, he'd come out and see that I was doing it okay, and he'd leave me, and then the owner would come in and yell, what's he doing here, and he'd he was huge. I'm big, but he was huge. And he'd grab me and fling me to the other side of the room. And then the owner would leave. He goes, okay, cuz, go back, go back, go back. You oh, know? my gosh. So this went on for the summer. And then at the end of the summer, for our busiest day of the year, the owner got stung by 12 bees uh, <gasps> or, or wasps. And he was alert, was allergic, but they had to pump him up with Benadryl and all other kinds of things. So I walk into work and they go, "Who's guess who's cooking tonight? And I said, who? And they point to me and I went, oh, my God, no. So trial by fire, graduation, wow. our busiest day of the year, I survived. And from that point on, it was just, you know, I, I kept training. I kept learning new things. But uh, I was the man. Then. <laughs> that is awesome. I have to say, I just, I'm so, like, I admire people who can kind of, like, figure it out that way. When it comes to food and cooking, I am so intimidated to even try new things. Like, I'm that person who's, like, it says one teaspoon of salt. It needs to be exactly one teaspoon of salt. <laughs> like, I, d I don't know. I don't have that kind of confidence in the kitchen. But well, I think that's how you start out is you need yes. to be – you start out with exact ratios yeah. because I, I like to cook too, but I'm an, uh, an artist, right? So you, what you learn originally as an artist is you start out as you 
you you copy the masters and you you copy them perfectly but then as time goes by you start to modify them make them your own and that's when you become an artist and i think i I like cooking and that's the same thing too is like as time goes by it's like at first you're always measuring it you know you get that knife and you shave off the sugar to exact one teaspoon and later on you just like grab enough and you throw it in yeah (laughs) that that's exact analogy perfectly said uh because that's what it is you know when you don't have the confidence in the kitchen you need to kind of follow it but what i tell people you know people will say you know i just don't like making dinner i i i i'm afraid of it i don't enjoy it it's just not something i want to do i says well do you like to eat yeah i do i love to eat (laughs) All right. What, what do you, what do you really like to eat? And they'll tell me and I'll say, okay, let's make that. And they'll go, really? I says, yeah. You know, like a perfect example. I always tell people for me is chicken parm. I mean, who Mm -hmm. doesn't love chicken parm, but you know, it's something so simple and you tell people they can make that in their homes better than most restaurants will serve them. and, And they just don't believe you. So it's something that's simple. So you start them with something simple with not a lot of ingredients that's not it's not rocket science this yeah. is just food folks you know and you start with that and he, they sit down and they eat it and they go wow this is excellent and i made it so now the next time in the kitchen you try something else you like and you know you start to build that confidence you start to build that that skill set in the kitchen where you're enjoying what you make and the key to enjoying what you make is to cook foods that you like to eat. And if something's in the recipe that you don't like, switch it out. You know, it's that simple. Cool. I always get a little intimidated because I've seen like episodes of cooking shows. I don't really like watch them and they'll explain like this oil is balancing the fat doing this and that. So (laughs) I get intimidated to change ingredients because I'm like, maybe this is doing some chemistry in there. And if I switch it out, it's going to be a problem. Well, it'll explode when you eat it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I just need to take a class. (laughs) No, you know, you you almost don't want to spoil yourself by trying to learn um, other people's philosophies on cooking, because when it comes down to it, you know, you, you want to learn some basic techniques, you know, knife skills, how to cut things so you don't, you know, maim yourself while you're making dinner, um, some safety things, you know, so you don't get burned. And then then it comes down to, again, picking the right foods. And when I go into a grocery store, you know, I may not necessarily know what I'm going to make for dinner. And I look to see, like with the produce, I start with produce, what is fresh, what, what is in season? What looks the best? And that's how I buy it. So then I'll bring, you know, I have my proteins. I, I order a lot of my meats and seafood online because it's easy and I get better quality. I can oh. get, you know, oh. pasture. Yeah, I get pasture raised and I can buy little amounts. Uh, you know, I, I don't work for them. I don't get anything from them. But there's, <laughs> a company, there's a company called CrowdCow. And, uh, you know, for over, I think it's a $100 order they deliver it to you for free and it comes to you like oh. two days frozen like a rock and you can get two portions of sa- of, of uh, copper river salmon you can get two portions of pacific cod you can get chicken wow. breast you know you can get and it's pasture raised so it's it's meat it's animals that were allowed to be animals you know right. they, they weren't yeah. humanely ethically and farm small farms so you're supporting you're supporting america you're supporting small farms and you're getting a better quality and you know as americans we eat way too much protein 
So if it's cost a little bit more, but you're serving a little bit less, the portion price is still going to be about the same. So it's a real good investment. And yeah, so I do that. So, I mean, I have my proteins at home, so I just know I need to know, unless I see something at the grocery store that stands out, you know, really like, oh, they have, uh, you know, black Angus on sale and I want some of that. Or if they have, uh, you know, just another, something that piques my interest. And and I work around that. So it's what's in my refrigerator. Then when it comes time to make dinner, it's like, what do I have and what can I put together? So along the way, it just kind of becomes second nature to you. So we are a travel cook, a travel show, not a cooking show, Mm -hmm. but I know there is a reason why we brought you on is that you uh, travel so much. So can you tell us about some of the places that you traveled and some of the influences that it's brought to some of the recipes or things that you do or how you cook? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Our first trip to Italy was uh, Rome, Florence, and Venice, you know, the, the, the tourist, the tourist lane and, uh, you know, various places and around. And one of the first things I learned, you know, I had been working in an Italian restaurant and, you know, Americans use too much garlic. We just, <laughs> we, we have a love How affair. How dare you? You can never have too much garlic. <laughs> no, I feel the same way. But <laughs> if you go to Italy, do not expect them to use that much garlic. You know, it's just, that's, that's the difference. There's certain things you will never get in Italy that you think are Italian, like chicken park. You're not going to get chicken park. <laughs> so, um, but when we were in Venice, we ordered pasta and clams. And mm. it, it was so light and perfectly balanced and delicious. And it had these little, tiny little clams in their shells mixed within the pasta. And it was like, wow, this is how you make pasta and clams? Because I hate to say it, but we were using chopped canned clams for pasta and clams and uh, yeah i I believe it yeah (laughs) but again this was this was in the uh, 80s so i mean we were it was like but i i went back and said shame on us folks you know yeah this is what we're gonna do but that was one of the things and it wasn't just that it was just like the over usage of you know is that again american philosophy of this is good more is better Um, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of dishes that we've adapted that are, you know, that I, that I brought simply because Americans would not be used to eating it. I opened an Italian restaurant and the guy says, oh, I want a real Italian. Well, it was so Italian. He didn't know what half the food was. So- <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know it's legit. Yeah. He's going, no, 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 this is too much. This is too much. You know, tone it down, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Sure yeah. Uh, but I mean, it, there's so many delicious dishes. And so, you know, that was my first, first, I think, real experience from Venice. And on that same trip, when we were in Rome, I encountered my first stuffed zucchini blossom. Oh, I've never had one, but it sounds oh, fancy. Little bites of heaven. Wow. Just uh, now we were in a, we were there over Christmas and uh, we were in a restaurant and the table next to us was getting all these treats. And I saw these zucchini blossoms. So I called the waiter over and he says, Oh, well, they're friends of the chef. He's just sent us stuff out. I went, Oh, well, do you think he'd make them for me? I, I'll pay. You know, I don't care what it is. Just, you know, will he make them? So he went back and checked and he sent them out. And that was love at first bite. And <laughs> I did alter the recipe a little bit. I made them more northern Italian style, but uh, zucchini blossoms are just, if you can ever find them, you know, check my blog. There's a recipe for them and you will just love, love, love them. Oh, I would love that. Yeah. So when you travel, sorry, I'm like curious, when you travel, um, 
do you also like try your hand at cooking while you're there? Do you like go through their grocery stores to see what they have? Are there things you have no idea what they are? How does that go for you? Well, I pretty much know what everything is now, but, okay. but seeing it in some of the states that it's in is is eye opening. Like like sure. we were, I think my first experience actually cooking was not that many years ago. We were on a trip. We, we usually we go for four to six weeks when we go because I hate flying that distance. So I, I stay for as long as we can tolerate it before we go back. And after one trip, I had booked us a week in Verona. We, we ended up in Venice and I booked us a week in Verona just so we could chill out, relax, enjoy the town, get to know it a little bit. And uh, there was a supermarket at the end of our street that we were staying. And I went to shop and I, I made clams and linguine. Uh, and that was just wonderful. And I also saw, I went in there and I saw all this sausage. And I went, oh my God, Italian sausage, Italian sausage, real Italian sausage. Yeah. Well, real Italian sausage is not American Italian sausage. Yeah. <laughs> so, no. There was... There was no fennel in it at all, so it was not not what I was expecting. It was still delicious, but it was not what I was expecting. But I, I cooked all week there. Uh, we went out for lunch, but I would make dinners, and I had such a good time that what we had planned to do, again, it was after our trip of the lifetime, we were going to go back to Verona for a month, and I was going to invite any of my blogging friends, travel or food that were there to come by, and I would cook for them. You know, it was just a lot of fun. So uh, that was my first real experience cooking out of the country. You know, mm-hmm. we, we do it. We do Arab. We we started with just hotels, and then we moved to Airbnbs. And with Airbnbs, you had a kitchen, so you could cook. So yeah, we, that's the the best like reason to get an Airbnb for me. Having access to the kitchen and even those facilities to host too. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, and so we, we've done that. We were in Trentino, and uh, we had a cute little Airbnb. And actually, I have friends from Milan that were there, and they actually cooked for me there, which was a, a real treat. Yeah, my friend's wife, Betty, is just a phenomenal cook. And she gets me – she'll throw me a bone every night. and goes, oh, okay, Dennis, your, your, your tiramisu is good. Yes. High <laughs> <laughs> praise. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Coming from me, it's, it's close to the real thing, you know, kind of is what she's saying. Right. But uh, – but yeah, so I, I've had fun that, and then going to markets. Oh God, I love going to markets in foreign yeah. countries. Uh, we were in Madrid, and just uh, they, they took me around the city of, uh, of Madrid, sent me on some food tours, and it was like, how much food can we make this man eat in one day? <laughs> <laughs> and, nice. and the guy was so proud, he got them to authorize barnacles because barnacles were really expensive. So he got them to let allow him to buy, I think, a, a, I forget how many ounces or grams of barnacles. Because wow. to get a barnacle, you have, the water goes out, you scrape them off real quick, and then you got to get out of the water before the water comes back because it'll thrash you against the rocks. So they, they were kind of like snails, kind of like wet sea snails maybe. Mm-hmm. Is that what the flavor is like? I was just about ready to ask. I've never heard of eating barnacles. I mean, it makes sense. It was it was not something I would say, hey, you got barnacles on the menu? Send me over a plate. <laughs> right. But it was an experience. And, and right. the guy was so proud and so happy that he got them to allow me to have this. You know, how could she refuse? You know, it's like, and then they were, I've, I've had a lot of worse things. Let's put it that way. It wasn't, it was an interesting flavor. And it may have been 
the same way I felt the first time I ate an oyster, you know, and it might be something that you just need to cultivate, you know, but I've never been real fond of snails. So I probably not. Uh, but, but that was, you know, and then being a chef, the same thing happened. Like we would be in a restaurant and he would go, okay, I got permission to bring you back in the kitchen. And oh, we were, wow. Yeah. We were in this one restaurant that had been around for like 400 years. Right. <laughs> you know, we're not talking and when you're in Europe, you're talking centuries, <laughs> not, not, you know, been established for 20 years. Um, and I went back there and there was this old, old brick wood fired oven and they had pigs, baby pigs heads lined up on the wall. Oh. That was their special for the night. And okay. oh my God, it was, it was just, you know, and I'm like looking at these and, and nobody gets back there. You know, it's not like something anybody gets to see. And you know, mm-hmm. that's one of the good things about being a chef and people knowing that they, they share things with you or they, you know, like when I was on a cruise line, I sat with the regional chef up on top of the deck, just commiserating, talking about how things work, you know, work doesn't matter what country you're in. Kitchen work is still kitchen work and you still have the same issues. Right. <laughs> yeah, we're up there tr- drinking, talking about, you know, uh, all the problems that we have and politics involved with our work and different things. And, you know, I was in Lucerne at a, a humongous resort and it was the same thing. Me and the s- executive sous chef are having these conversations about all the problems we have as, as with, with, uh, our employees and different things. So it's fun. So what's the most, uh, what was the most unknown slash, you know, maybe um, underappreciated international food that you've encountered over the years? The most, well, for me, the most unappreciated international food was octopus. Oh, it was not one of those things that again, that I ever went out of my way to eat. Uh, I would try it. It was okay. We were in Barcelona and again, went to a, one of these beautiful food markets with, you know, and when it's a food market, we're not just talking about selling uh, uh, foods to prepare all kinds of restaurants in there too. And, mm-hmm. and they took me to this place and they ordered and this long octopus tentacle came out and I looked at it and went, okay, I'll try it. Oh my God. It was the most phenomenal food I think I'd ever tasted. It was done perfectly. It was just, and I, I finished the whole thing. And for me, that was saying a lot. And it was funny. There was a doctor on the tour with us and he's telling his kids, says, this guy knows food. He goes, this is the best octopus you're ever going to have. Wow. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I have only really had, I think, you know, just pieces of octopus in like sushi and yeah. it really doesn't, like it doesn't have much of a flavor to me. So this octopus that you had, like oh. what was it flavored like? Like what was the experience? It was grilled. Okay. And it was seasoned, but you know, I don't think it was seasoned very heavily with more than salt and pepper, unless he had some magic spice back there that he was using, but mm-hmm. it was the way it was grilled. And, you know, again, with those type of sea creatures, just like with calamari and stuff, there's that fine line between cooking it just enough and cooking it, too much because you know it's usually like with calamari you cook it a minute or you cook it an hour you know in mm. between it's going to be like rubber so i think with octopus it's got to be the same way you know and i've had it before people would serve it to me and it was okay but it wasn't again something i would order i'd have gone back and gotten it again that's how good it was but it was just the flavor whether he was using wood on the grill but the flavor that was imparted into it it was just it wasn't 
overpowering. It wasn't fishy. It was just mm-hmm. tasty. It was just really, really tasty. And uh, the, the texture was perfect. It just ate really, really well. And it was just amazing. You know, it's the same way I did first time I had lamb in Ireland. Uh, I'm eating this meat and have, I said, what is this? And they go, lamb. I said, oh my God, really? This is delicious. You know, it, right. it's, it's again, it's using good quality products that you're sourcing really well and having that knowledge to prepare them well. Uh, you know, it's, it's just phenomenal. It does such good things to food. That's why, you know, when you're, when you travel, don't be locked into eating what you normally eat, you know? Oh order, yeah. But order something you would never have or never think about ordering. I always try things at least once and twice if I, I like it, you know, but there's, I mean, there's a lot of things that you go, Hey, if they're eating it, you have to give it a try because there must be something that's charming to this culture or something special. Oh yeah. And then, you know, and then, you know, and I want to know what it is, Yeah, you know, we were we were in Germany, and my wife is one who doesn't always read the menu accurately to see. <laughs> That's <laughs> and, a that could be a problem. And, and many times it's like, "What's the matter? I don't like it. It's got this." And I says, "Well, it said it had that on the menu. I didn't see it." <laughs> oh no! Your, your dinner looks real good, though. Can I have that? I'm like, oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, too many times, but um, she ordered. She had, and she'll ask. I always ask the servers, I say, I'll give them a couple of choices, you know, wherever we're at, I'll say, I want to order this or this, which one should I order and let mm-hmm. them make the decision or they'll say, Oh, you don't want either of those. Try this instead. So I trust them. Well, she did it. Yeah. She, they sometimes have some really good insights. Oh, if you take yeah. the time to talk yeah. to them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they appreciate it. You know, they appreciate the effort that you're trusting them too. Mm-hmm. But we were in Germany and I had gotten uh, veal sausage and pretzels. I was in, that was, I was going to be in heaven. It was perfect. It was delicious. And uh, she decided she wanted something. And the girl says, Oh no, the tourists all order that we have a special today. It's this meat salad. And she goes, okay, well, let me tell you, it was a meat salad. It was all these different like German type cold cuts all cut up with onions and maybe some cucumbers. And well, she didn't like it at all. <laughs> she did but we're looking around the tables and all you could see all the locals and they were like devouring it so you know the server was accurate and saying this was a very well liked dish she just was not it was not it wasn't to her taste no, it just wasn't yeah. to her taste but my, my pretzels and white veal sausage were delicious <laughs> wow so how does all of this travel influence your recipes? Do you set out to like, now I'm going to do my own, like, you know, pretzels, or do you like to do fusions? Or how do you take these experiences and put them in your own cooking? Well, you know, a lot of times I think if I stay true to what they're making in a, in a different country, it'll be overwhelming or the flavors are going to be too much for some people just starting out. So mm-hmm. I will tend to Americanize them a little bit. And, and sometimes it's because of the ingredients that are available here as opposed to, you know, in Europe or wherever we're traveling to. Sure. Uh, the difference in quality or the difference in availability uh, makes a big difference. You know, sourcing ingredients is that's why a lot of chefs aren't afraid to share recipes because they know you're never going to source the same, quite the same ingredients as they are. So it'll be good. Yeah. It won't be quite as good. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but you know, I have used and I have made many things, you know, like in, in, uh, Spain and in, uh, Italy, a lot of times we get shrimp served with the heads on, you know, with, uh, with the whole shrimp, the whole scampi. And, yeah. uh, and to do that in the States, people would f- get freaked out, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And if I put it on my blog, as much as beautiful as it would be and as exciting as it would be to me, I don't think anybody would make it, you know, because they would just get freaked out by seeing the heads on them. So you have to adapt it, you know, make like the Portuguese garlic shrimp, but without the heads on them, you know, it's those kind of things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's, that's fine. Well, I was going to ask, um, you know, you've told us about all these different foods. Do you have uh, um, a favorite? Uh, do you have a favorite? country certain type of food from a certain country and what did you yeah. did you specialize in um you mentioned that you had an italian place um is that was your specialty or are there other areas that you well, that that was my specialty you know i did some french cooking but french cooking is a little too intense um i i, I like sauces but i i always feel if a dish can't stand its own like if a, a piece of meat or a fish seasoned with salt and pepper and olive oil doesn't taste good by itself. Adding a sauce to it is only hiding, you know, uh, disguising it. So, I mean, I love a good sauce, but I also like just the plain, I like to taste the flavors of what I'm eating. Uh, I, I don't like, you know, I will throw, I'll make some things that I throw 10 or 15 ingredients in to balance it. But, you know, for the most part, I like simple dishes uh, when I cook at home and, you know, simple style, more Mediterranean cooking, not just Italian. And, you know, in Italy, we're talking about so many different styles of cooking just because mm-hmm. of wherever they border, they have adapted that Italian style of cooking uh, to be more like the other countries. So, you know, whether it's German Italian or French Italian, uh, you know, it's just, it, it just changes it. Everything, you know, as you get further South, the ingredients, you don't have uh, the dairy as much. So it's all olive oil, you know, based up North, they have more dairy. So you get cream and you get cheese and things where you don't get down the South. So Italy is probably my, my favorite country to eat in because it's really hard to get a bad meal. It's really, you know, I've had better, better meals in bus stations there than I have. And, and, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that's a truth and good um, Italian restaurants in the States. So so I'm curious um, because there are some cuisines that are so like regional that some people, I guess, Americans like shy away from. Like, for instance, Iceland does like the fermented shark. Oh. Have you ever tried things like that? I have not. You know, to be honest with you, I had never tried sushi until I moved to Florida. Because- what? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you something. I'm a Texan. I, you know, I wasn't. I was born in Louisiana, but I was raised in Texas. My mother says they put something in the water there, so you're a Texan for life. <laughs> okay. And for me, raw fish was always bait. So. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. And then um, I went out on a restaurant. Had invited me out to dinner with a bunch of other bloggers and they serve sushi. And as, as my, my th- uh, philosophy has always been, if you put something in front of me, I'm going to taste it. Awesome. And it was, love- appreciated it was now. Love- Oh my God. Yes, okay. I do. <laughs> okay. Yes, I do. I had some of the best sushi of my life in, um, at the Bergenstock resort in Switzerland, Lucerne, Switzerland. Um, they had a five Asian style restaurant where they, he goes, you know, see that mountain over there? He goes, we have an airport and all the supplies are flown in every week 
Wow. Chefs from each different, you know, they had Thai, they had uh, Japanese, they had Chinese, they had, I forget the other styles, but, and the guy says, what do you want? Do you want to order? Do you want me to just uh, send something to you? I says, oh, just send me whatever you want. Nice. And this, my wife won't eat raw, but she'll, she likes California rolls. So they made some of those style for her, but I had all this amazing, oh my God, delectable raw fish. And, you know, and a lot of that comes down to trusting the source again. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and like, like in, um, you can eat a scallop raw if it's coming right out of the water. You can eat almost anything raw if it's coming right out of the water and it's clean. There's no, no uh, little worms in it or things. That right, right. Well, I don't know if you're aware of this, but like in Japan, traditionally, they don't eat raw salmon. Really? Yeah. So the thing is that salmon being a freshwater fish tends to harbor parasites uh-huh. in that area. And it wasn't until me. So they only start eating Sam raw salmon in maybe the last 20 years. It wow. was like something like Norway had too much salmon. And so they actually, um, and, but their salmon was unusually clean mm-hmm. and they actually sent people from those areas to try to sell salmon into Japan. And wow. it slowly has changed them. It, actually, America started eating raw salmon before the, the Japanese did. Hmm. So anyway, it's a random story. <laughs> that, that's amazing. But yeah, no, the Japanese really know their fish. Well, they, they have really good styles of cooking. They are just are amazing. You know, so let me ask you this. Okay, now that you're ta- this is actually a personal question. You're you're you you do Italian, and actually one of the things that I've been trying to find is like I've been watching lots of YouTube videos, and it's been fascinating to me because I've been watching um, a lot of these Michelin cooks create um, cook uh, carabana, carbonara, carbonara. I'm sorry, I'm mispronouncing <laughs> carbonara. And the thing is that, and everyone has their own particular technique. Do, do you have something that specifically that you think that makes your special or tell us what, what your favorite way of uh, producing, uh, well, offering it? The biggest problem with carbonara is you see Americanized versions and that's usually what you see. And, and I was guilty of the same thing when I first made it. And, you know, you, you use bacon, which you, you can't, you can't even use pancetta. <laughs> yeah. Pancetta is not really, you, you want to use gua, guanacale, guanacale, mm-hmm. uh, which is the fattier portion. Um, so you want to use that and then it's it's getting that right and it's an egg yolk that kind of brings it together egg yolk and cheese and some black pepper and uh, i'm trying to remember what else goes into it it's been so long since i've made it but it's that it's the blending of it that is Mm -hmm. the critical portion of it. it's just like making real fettuccine alfredo there is no cream in fettuccine alfredo it is a mixture of butter and cheese perfectly balanced and tossed with the pasta so it's creamy right yeah Yeah. and it's the same thing with carbonara it's that balance the egg yolk adds the richness to it now you've got to get it into it while it's hot so the egg yolk actually cooks a little bit so you're not worried about salmonella and all that but you know starting with a guanacale and adding that sauteing that you get the fat from it you get the flavor from it and then mixing that in with the pasta and the cheese and, and, and breaking the egg into it and just tossing it. So it's, it's like a silky kind of texture to it. Uh, right. That's, that's a real carbonara. And again, it's, it's rare. <clears throat> I think a lot of people are afraid of using the raw egg, especially, you know, when you're serving, serving restaurant guests because of all the implications of it. Um, 
but it's just not not something that most Americans would understand or are used to simply because of how we've um, that's one of the dishes we have Americanized so much but it's supposed to be such a simple dish oh, yeah. and 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 the thing is that it it seems like it takes uh everyone the mastery of it it's like something simple takes a lot of mastery if you're doing it right sometimes, yeah. I feel like. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just like a very simple, you know, uh, I, I can't remember the name. It'll lose me right now. But the very simple pasta with cheese and pepper, you know, uh, it's it's just, you know, that's very easy dish to make. But again, the mastery of it, getting the cheese to melt properly, you know, so there there is some skill involved so that when you serve it, it's not just a clump or a mess or it's uneven. You know, it's and that's the same thing with the carbonara. It's got to be the technique, years of, of making it over and over and over again. So it's a simple mastery of something that you know is very simple to make. It's funny when we first started cooking, we would make we made fettuccine alfredo, but we made a, a more of a northern Italian version. As what I always tell people, it had heavy cream in it. And again, that was you know. A, still what we make because what I make is because what people expect with it, Mm. but we would use an egg yolk in it. And that was something we always added in, which you don't see a lot of people do anymore. The egg yolk was to give it some added, uh, richness, right? Richness to the, to the dish. Um, so yeah. So how long does it take you to develop a recipe? It, It depends what it is. You know, some things are just very intuitive for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I did have one instructor early, early on in my career, and she would tell me that I needed to listen to food. She says, if you listen to food, it will tell you what it needs. And I think if I had any gift at all in cooking, that was one of the things. I was. It was just I kind of knew what it needed. So when I develop a recipe, it usually comes out pretty close the first time. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't, I know what I did wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, I know exactly. Like if if it, I taste it and I go, oh, that was a mistake, adding this or not, or it needs this, or you know, it, it's just kind of blending ingredients to try and complement each other. So again, for me, that was just intuitive. It's it's one of the things that I could do right from the get go, almost. Um, and I enjoy blending different flavors. One of my things in the restaurants was always, you know, I love pasta. I would serve as much as I could over pasta because number one, it fills the plate. Yeah. You know, you know my, my patrons would would be unbuckling their belts or unbuttoning their pants as they were finished, <laughs> and I had done my job. I had no one left my restaurant hungry. No one. That was for me. That would have been a cardinal sin. Uh, So they always pasta was a mainstay. You know, we always used really good pasta too. I used a Checo was always my favorite. Um, And I would blend things together. So I would blend, you know, chicken. A lot of people, you had to keep the prices reasonable with something. So if I wanted to do some shrimp, but I wanted to really fill the plate. I would add some chicken. I would make chicken and shrimp together and a lot of different types of dishes. If I wanted to use lobster, I might do uh, lobster, shrimp, a little bit of lobster, some shrimp, and some chicken, or, or I would blend different types of seafoods together. I loved using sausage, Italian sausage in dishes that would add more flavor to it too. So they would add some spice or maybe even pepperoni. 
I, I make a chicken pepperoni, which came from the movie. Um, seems like old times with Goldie Hawn and way, way back Aurora's famous chicken pepperoni. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the guy I worked for came up with it and I, I, I've carried that with me everywhere. And it's an amazing dish, but you throw pepperoni in some of your other dishes and the flavor it adds, it just blows you away. It's just is that me. on your blog? Yeah, chicken pepperoni. And okay. I, actually, I actually make a chicken marsala, which is one of my wife's mm. favorites. And one time I put pepperoni into it and went, oh my God, this is good. <laughs> so, you know, when I make something that surprises me, that's an event because I always know it's going to be good, but when I make it and it's beyond my expectations that I love those days, those are good days. <laughs> nice. So um, what, so once again, you have a food blog, you teach people how to cook. What is the most common mistake that you think that a, um, a home cook you encounter with home cooks the the most common mistake is overcooking meats and fish that is that is mm. the biggest thing because we're so afraid of them not being done and for so many years we were told everything has to be well done well done you know that was the state of some of the foods we were eating but like with with seafood you know people pay a lot for good salmon or you know good um scallops or different types of fish and you want to find that sweet spot where it's not completely cooked it's almost there but it's not there so overcooking is, is probably the worst thing you can do the worst sin you can commit to food and you're you're destroying flavor you're destroying texture um, it's it's not it's dry you're drying it out you're really killing it so whenever i cook fish i always tell people to put a little water in the pan with him when they go to the oven, if you're baking it, mm -hmm. because fish came out of water, you want to put it back in a little water. So instead of the fish just drying out, it'll pull the water up into it. So it doesn't completely dry out. So it stays a little moister. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a tip, but, but even with meats, I mean, I know a lot of people like my wife won't eat anything if there's a hint of pink in it. Uh, and, and, um, you know, her steaks and, you know, she likes them, but, you know, I, I say you might as well just chew on a shoe, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Our first trip to Paris, we were in Montmartre and we, we did one of these subways. She had to wear these high heels and I'm going, you're not going to be comfortable. Oh, and, no. and, you know, we were in like the bowels of the city where the subway let you out. And then you walked up like six flights to get to Montmartre. <laughs> And we went to this restaurant and she wanted steak. And I said, sweetie, don't order steak. They're not going to cook it well done. I want steak. Sent it back twice. I told oh, him, I, I said, oh, I, no. think, I think the chef just looked at it both times and sent it back out because he was not going to cook it any more than what it yeah. that was. It. Um, and that was my first time eating rare duck breast. <laughs> and, yeah. and I'm glad the lighting was low because... <laughs> It, it would it might have freaked me out a little, but it was phenomenal. It was <laughs> phenomenal. You know, so again, you know, eating things a little less done than you think they should be uh, with meats, with seafood. Yeah. You know, it, it's going to keep it moister. You're going to have some more of the flavors in it. Uh, it's just going to be more enjoyable. Do you have like a centralized resource where you get? 
ingredients, like especially international ones? Or where do you pick up things you might not find readily in an American supermarket? Well, you know, there's a lot of online resources now, and it's sure. depending upon which style of cooking you want. If you want some Portuguese ingredients, you know, you just do a, a quick Google search. I actually find a lot of things on Amazon, believe it or not. Um, huh. That's that's my first place to look, and and then I will, you know, go elsewhere if I can't exactly find what I'm looking for. But it's amazing what they do carry. Um, Strangely enough, Walmart is another one because they are not just a, they just don't deliver, they gather from other people that sell things. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you can find, like I, I, um, I got this Italian sausage, it's called, I can't pronounce it right, but it's Nuja, uh, N-J-U-D-A or something like that. Uh, it's a very spicy smoked it's not raw it's a real greasy uh, sausage salami very spicy and i actually got it through amazon from a place in chicago that that was um makes it in in the form of the italian style i think i don't know if it's calabrese or where it came from but it's a very very spicy i was surprised how spicy it was (laughs) Uh, but I but I had seen someone else use it online. I said, "Oh, I got to try that. That sounds awesome." And it was delicious. But boy, it was. <laughs> That's right up my alley. I love spicy foods. Yeah. Oh, you would have loved that. But I mean, you use a little bit, and um, it was kind of almost like a paste kind of a thing in in a in a casing. So it was mm. it was it was very tasty. Um, I have a post ready to go. I just haven't. I haven't <laughs> I haven't had the heart to put it out yet because I'm going, I know my people are not going to like this. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, but again, so when you talk about Americanizing things, um, you know, using again, changing it out for pepperoni or maybe salami or, or um, something else that is less, that is easier to find, easier to source and uh, will make people, people will still enjoy the flavor of it without overwhelming them. But yeah, it's, um, you know, there's some Italian suppliers I have. Uh, I'm not opposed to having things shipped from Italy. Um, You pay pay a lot for it. But, you know, depending on what it is, if it's something I really need, like I had this one pan I couldn't find. I ended up getting shipped from Italy for um, a, 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 a kind of a star, Natalin it's called, uh, was a dessert um, that you bake and it's kind of in a star shape, a rough star shape. Hmm. So we, okay. Um, in the past, our, we've on our podcast, we talk about bringing back souvenirs sometime. Mm-hmm. Now, since we have you, um, on our show and the food direction, what are things that you've brought back from around the world or you suggest people bring back from certain countries? I mean, like was like a mustard from a certain place or do you have any suggestions? Well, I or think, thoughts? yeah, I think if you can shop locally, like if you're, if you're in some small towns and you look for not um, manufactured or, or really real distributed products that are more localized ingredients, like when, when we were in in Greece, I actually I ordered some I got some olive oil from a distributor, but I had that shipped home. It really wasn't that expensive. Mm. Uh, so I mean, looking for opportunities like that, you know, when you want to get souvenirs, if you can get them shipped, that's really a lot easier than packing them and and, and oh, dra- sure. dragging your suitcase. The funniest thing. 
from our first trips we brought was my wife loves tea. You know, she's a coffee drinker sometimes, but she prefers tea was yellow label, Lipton's yellow label tea. And we could only find that in Europe because they didn't serve it. That was their first tea that they, they sold, I think. In Lipton's. Huh. And, wow. and it wasn't what you could get in the States. Well, thanks to Amazon and over the course of years, I can find yellow label tea and we, we can buy it. Um, now she's on to organic tea, though, so, so we can't get that. But that was something we first brought home, and I used to bring home Italian coffee because I, I loved espresso, and I had an espresso maker at home, but I, I did not know. you know. And again, then I started sourcing it, and I found companies in the States, and I would order my Italian coffee from them. You know, Now it's pretty commonplace. Lavazza is out. There's some different brands around, oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and you can get some good Italian coffees, but Back in the day when we first started traveling together in the in the late nineties, you know, a lot of these products just weren't around. But you know, bring and also bringing, you know, I, I tell people, you can get some really good wines here in the states if you find the right sources. But sometimes bringing something special back with you is always a good a good thought, or bringing um, uh, maybe a liqueur that you enjoyed, something. Yeah, you know, I agree. Yeah, you know, wine that you enjoyed, yeah. something special or something. Um, I found this box of pink lady fingers. I make tiramisu and these were something I'd never seen before. You know, so anything that like strikes your fancy, you know, that, that means that'll mean something special to you. (laughs) Our, Our first trip to Paris, my wife had fresh cheese. And she got so sick. <laughs> so sick. It was like that Meg Ryan movie kind of sick. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. So she sent me, and we had, this was our first trip together ever. She sent me out to get ginger ale and air freshener. Oh, so, no. <laughs> so, so here I am going to the local, I forget which brand of uh, of grocery store it was in Paris. It wasn't far from us. And, uh, and my terrible French getting both. And this was pre nine 11. So we brought the air freshener back and every now and then I'd spray it and go, ha, huh, remember Paris? <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. Does she have the same sentiment or was she like, Oh, that trip? <laughs> oh, she still doesn't. She still shudders a little bit when we talk okay. about it. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was our first time traveling and it, it's kind of what <laughs> brought us together. We, we survived that and we love oh. traveling together and that became yeah. our thing. Wow. Like there's a big trend with travel cooks, you know, with like Anthony Bourdain, um, God rest his soul. And like the Stanley Tucci one out. What do you think about these? Do you like watching them? I love watching. (laughs) No, no. I love watching Stanley Tucci. He is, is amazing. I used to love, um, Mario Battaglia when he would travel around. He was, he was a lot of fun to watch too. Um, but yeah, Anthony Bourdain was was like the king of what he did. He he could get a little dark sometimes, but uh, you know, and I like to have fun when I cook. Uh, but I I love the series. In fact, I think the new season of Stanley Tucci is out, so we're we haven't watched that yet. Have you ever applied to be on Chopped? Because I love that show, and I would watch. I have been asked to be on Chopped, <gasps> and, and my res- my response has been. That I would curse more than um, yeah. that's what the guy, the, the British guy, more than live. They'll edit it out. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, tell me. And I've had friends that have been on. And they've told me some of the things they said, and I'm like, oh hell no! Wow. And then I just got a um, 
uh, um, letter to ask me to to be on um, that new Gordon Ramsay show, the next oh, to the, wow. next the next level. And I went and told my wife. I said, "Yeah, they they want to be on the next level." And she looked at me. I said, "I said no." She goes, "Good." <laughs> <laughs> First of all, you know, at this age, you know, I'm like, you want someone young and pretty for this too. Number one, I said, <laughs> I, I would be a novelty, but I'm like, I, I'm not taking this crap. I said. Yeah, Gordon, you want to have it out right here? I'll have it out right here. Yeah. I like him too, though. He's a good He's fun. Okay. We, I can't believe it. We are at like 50 minutes. So, um, we, 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 we really need to, um, learn more about you before we, we close this up for the day. So, Dennis, here's some really quick questions. We want people to come find you. Who should be visiting your website and your blog? Anyone who likes to eat. Anyone who likes to cook and uh, someone who's looking for some new new ideas or, or maybe some classic recipes, some old classic restaurant recipes uh, should like, to, you know, should visit. I just redid my crab imperial and my uh, flounder stuffed with crab imperial recipes because I had some great crab meat at the store. Um, but anybody who really enjoys good food and, and wants simple instructions and things make things that aren't going to take you more than 20 minutes to 40 minutes to finish, you know, dinner should not be that difficult. So. Okay. Um, so um, where can we find you? I am askchefdennis.com. Uh, oh, that's, that's easy. That's easy. And I'm on social media. I'm pretty much Ask Chef Dennis on all social media. If you Google Chef Dennis, I should fill the first couple pages. Okay. And then I guess last of all, you want to come back sometime maybe? Oh, absolutely. I, <laughs> I had such a good time today. We uh, did too. Yeah, I'd be happy to come on it, you know, and talk a little bit about my travels. I'm hoping to get back on the road maybe in the U.S. this fall and uh, – Back to Europe. Now, I told you about a trip of a lifetime, and it started in Sicily. And uh, I have not been to Sicily, so that's on my radar. So that's the one that the pandemic shut down. Yeah, it was going to start in Sicily. We were going to Rome for a week, and then we were going over to Croatia and uh, going to spend some time in Croatia. And then we were cruising all the way around Italy and ending up in Nice, where we were going to spend another uh, week or so in Nice. So it, it was going to be an amazing trip. But that, eh, what are you going to do? <laughs> is this what you're going to try to do this fall? Uh, this fall, I think I, I wanted to go out to the national parks. I have not oh, seen yeah. all the national parks. My wife visited them when she was young, but you know, the, I, I would love to see some of those. We have not spent time traveling the United States. And then hopefully in the spring, if we can do Sicily, I think that's when we will do it. Totally support that. I've never been. I would love to go myself. So... We'll have you back to hear about it when you complete that dream trip. Absolutely. Anytime. I'm always happy to be on with you. Great. Well, thanks for tuning in to meet Chef Dennis, the owner of Ask Chef Dennis Productions. Ask Chef Dennis is a place to go where people can feel calm and confident in the kitchen and how to be a better cook at home. He's got some great travel stories there, too. And we hope that you guys had as much fun as we did today. What do you guys think? Let us know on our social media channels where you can find photos of our adventures from around the world, interesting articles, and more. Also, if you're newer to our podcast, check out some of our older ones on Cuba, London, France, and international authors, and obviously cooks too. 
Midas in Paris is the University of California Irvine Division of Continuing Education Production. If you need a career boost, looking to increase your workplace knowledge, or seeking a new profession, check them out at ce.uci.edu for the professional courses. And thanks again for tuning in. Bye. 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 Bye.